I've got cancer, but I'm part of a clinical trial that could lead to new breakthroughs. I've got cancer, but I've also got researchers working together to find a cure. If you or a loved one has cancer, you need New Jersey's only comprehensive cancer center designated by the National Cancer Institute. I've got cancer, but I've also got hope. Learn more at rwjbh.org slash beatcancer. RWJ Barnabas Health and Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey. Let's beat cancer together. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Speak of the Devils is supported by Riverside Oral Surgery, official partner of the New Jersey Devils. Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan, along with Sam Kassan. Welcome to Speak of the Devils, our weekly podcast presented by our very good friends. And we thank them for their sponsorship at RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. And Sam Kassan, and I'm saying Sam Kassan because we got a Sam on deck. I'm rubbing my hands, getting ready <laughs> because the draft is right around the corner. And it's exciting times because, again, uh, we've talked about this before, the Devils Pipeline has been filled more and more as uh, the last few years have gone on, and it's a chance to add to it. And maybe, just maybe, there might be somebody able to contribute this year to the Devils. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing wonderful. Obviously, just as excited as you are. Draft around the corner, getting ready to, to gear up and get up to Montreal and see who the Devils' newest addition will be. Of course, the number two selection, so pretty high pick for them. So, as you said, man, he might be a player that can step right in. Maybe not, maybe We'll see. Who knows? Uh, obviously, our prognosticator will give us the enlightenment and tell us uh, all we need to know as, as he joins us here momentarily. But I am very excited. Obviously, the draft is probably the, the most optimistic time of the year because you're adding future valuable pieces to your organization. In one day, you're getting six, seven, however many guys, well, maybe five, maybe 13. Who knows how many draft picks you have? Obviously, the Devils have 10 this year, but high-end picks, too. That number two overall pick, obviously, could go many different directions, many different ways. So, Love to see where uh, our guest thinks that the Devils will go. Well, let's introduce our guest. I say we have two Sams. And so Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet joins us. He just came out with his final draft rankings, and we'll talk about who fits in where and why. But Sam, you said this draft is going to be volatile. Why? And welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, Maddie and, and Sam. I really appreciate it. It's nice to get this uh, annual going here once again. But uh, yeah, the volatility in this draft, there's a number of reasons for it. I mean, first of all, we have some players that probably haven't reached their peak development yet because of missing time due to the pandemic, whether it was a half season, a modified schedule, uh, in some cases, an entire season. Then we have uh, with what's happening with the war in Ukraine. I mean, does that mean... Uh, Belarusian and Russian players are going to be uh, less sought after. Uh, that's something to definitely uh, be concerned about. And I think in general, just with the number of players that are uh, amongst the same group, there's not a whole lot of separation in this group. Typically, we look at a draft and we see a bunch of different tiers. This group doesn't have that same type of tier structure as what we're used to seeing in the past. And really... I look at the most drafts and there's a clear cut number one guy. It's a McKinnon, it's a McDavid, it's a, it's a Matthews. And maybe it's a one, two race, like a, like a Taylor Tyler or a Victor Hedman and John Tavares. In this case, we have a three horse race. 
And so we can harken back to the Jack Hughes, or sorry, the Alexi Lafreniere draft and think, all right, we had Byfield and Lafreniere and Stutzla. And this year we have Cooley and Slavkovsky and Shane Wright. So I think there's a lot of similarities between those two drafts. But really, the volatility starts right at the top. So many players are grouped together. You have defensemen that are spread out in different tiers. And so the last, I think, element, Maddie, that, that you know speaks to the volatility is the fact that everyone's back on the floor together. So if you want to make a trade or something comes up, you can walk over to the other guy. You don't have to text him or try and conference him or you know be rushed to figure out what communication is going to work best to try and do something quickly. You simply walk over, pick up the phone, talk to the next table, um, and guys will be excited uh, about being together in the same room once again. So a lot of different elements are going to lead to what I think is going to be the most volatile draft I've ever worked. As Sam Kassan mentioned, it'll be held in Montreal. I'm pretty sure all the fans know that. The only disappointing part for me is I will not be there. I will be back at Prudential Center in our studio hosting our coverage. Sam gets to enjoy that wonderful city with the rest of our our content team. How confident, Sam Cosentino, are the scouts that because of the reasons you referenced, you know, the pandemic interrupting seasons the last couple of years, et cetera, how confident are they that the players are now who they are, that there are no more hidden things they need to worry about? Boy, he didn't develop the way we thought, or are we being biased because of what we thought last year, so on and so forth? How much did this season clear up those matters? It, it cleared it cleared things up a lot. And again, the in-person viewings are, are kind of the gold standard of scouting. And yes, video scouting has evolved. That's still a very big part of what's happening with teams. Uh, and it will be on a move forward basis. Uh, it also, um, you know, the pandemic really forced teams into uh, relying on their scouts to do a lot more of that. And I think in the long term, it's really beneficial. And, and part of the reason is you have scouts who might work, you know, one region. You don't get to cross over and see other players. They can now confidently do that in video and form an opinion, albeit not complete, but still some sort of opinion on players to give that scouting group a more broad-based, uh, um, you know, conversation point about a particular player. So when it comes to that, there's more certainty because of the in-person viewings. There's more certainty because we have better uh, data in terms of the testing that go on the various prospects games, and of course at the combine. And then you have more uh, certainty because you're getting able, you have that opportunity to meet in person with the player, shake their hand, look them in the eyes, see how they're dressed. What's the body language look like? There are a lot of different key little elements that go into the puzzle and selecting the player. And I think when I'm talking about the more certainty, that's a key piece. Um, and the combine, you know, speaks to the ability for those players to be able to get there and meet the various scouting groups and the various uh, groups that are used to, you know, mental coach, mental coaches, that sort of thing. The physical element as well, when it comes to the, the testing and the exercise and strength science departments that teams now employ. So we are a lot more certain this year than any year we've been in the last three, for sure. Well, Sam, you mentioned the last three years have been pretty crazy with the COVID and the cancellations and the whole leagues canceling play and lack of travel and all that stuff. Stepping back, how nice is it just to have a normal year where you had, I know COVID did interrupt a little bit with the junior championships and stuff, but for the most part, starting with the Helenka, a pretty basic normal year of scouting and collecting data and getting to know these guys and kind of seeing where they were. And what's it like having that back into the fourfold and being just, just normal? Well, it's so good. I mean, if, if you're, you know, I'm the type of person that still goes to the bank teller because I want to talk to a human being and, and say hello and, 
you know, I'll just see someone face to face. I don't want to be punching numbers into an ATM and all right, there's your money. Here you go. I'll see you later. So th- that in-person element is, is huge. Um, but maybe more importantly for me and my job, because the networking element of being in person is, again, it's the, it's the gold standard. You can sit down, maybe you can have a beer with a guy. I spent, you know, three days in Plymouth at the end of March and went out with a number of different guys for lunch, for dinner, you know, a couple of beers just to shoot the breeze. And you're continuing to build that, that network and maintain it and, and strengthen it. So that part is huge, but also just live with your own eyes, seeing guys, it really makes a difference because you have something that goes outside of the picture of a, of a TV screen. You have a guy going down the alley because he got hurt. You have an interaction with a coach on a bench. You see what a player might be doing, directing other players before a face-off. So all of those things that you didn't get to see because of video, you got to see in person. And again, those things are, are just huge. But for me personally, it's just the ability to, to maintain, build, and, and strengthen the network that uh, you know I've used the last 15 years creating. And not necessarily make excuses or just general. But when you look at the the guys, I mean, you start scouting these guys when they're 15 and they end of the junior ranks and you kind of project them year in, year out, year in, year out. And you expect the guy at 15 to be here at 18. Last year with whole leagues canceling, some leagues only playing 20 games, or if they did play, some guys would get COVID and only play 10 games. Did you notice when they got back to the full gears and grinds of a season, did that stunt or uh, perturb any of the development in some of the guys that maybe last year wasn't their draft year, but going in really didn't help them as they try to project it out? Oh, it's, it was huge. And to be honest with you, like I speak more to the CHL because they see more of those games and the first half of the year was, especially in Ontario, it was disastrous. The hockey was not very good at all. Plenty of mistakes being made. Um, you know, guys not exactly sure where they should be on the ice. Um, and, and you miss out on, on that game experience, a full year of it. It's, it's really difficult. And then, you know, you went into the Christmas break and everyone kind of had a reset there and, came back and again, it's trying to get back up to speed once again. And I think by the time we got towards, you know, the final month of the season, we started to get a more true representation of what players are and your ability to project those players. I know in Ontario, a lot of scouts I talked to didn't even bother watching the first 20 or 25 games of the season. They just felt that because that year missed, you weren't going to get a true representation and you might build false scouting reports based on what you're seeing in a year where guys are caught up to their development. So it was a real thing for sure. Uh, but I do think that by the time we got, you know, into February uh, and into March that we're able to get a much more true representation, not only of what the player is today, but uh, projecting what that player will be in the future. So that's the 30,000 foot view. Now we're going to dive down ground level into the weeds with Sam Cosentino. Your final rankings. We'll just start off with the number one. We'll work our way through a bunch and, kind of lay out the whys. We mentioned just a moment ago, the 15-year-old exceptional status was granted to Shane Wright in the OHL. From that moment on, basically everyone said in 2022, he's going to be the number one pick. And then suddenly this year, there's a, well, guys are gaining. Maybe he won't. He is number one in your final rankings. Why? He is, and not by much. I mean, I really believe that that line is is razor, razor thin. And this is obviously where the devils come into the conversation here. But I say that because when we watched Shane at the under 18s, where he was surrounded by plenty of future NHL players, where he wasn't even at 100% health, yet was still dominant 
finally playing in his age group and absolutely brilliant there at the under 18 worlds in Texas, going back to, to last August there. And so that I think was the true representation of the player that we can see now and project in the future. He comes into the year, you know, he gets COVID couple stops and starts the season, the disappointment of the world juniors only going two games, a lot of different elements came into play when it came to, to Shane Wright in particular. And so a lot of scouts were saying, oh, man, he looks indifferent. Maybe he's not competing at the level we expect him to. Is he conserving energy? If so, why? Uh, we want to see a guy who brings us that dynamic effort every single shift. And with Shane, you don't get that. You have to really watch Shane more and more to appreciate details in the face-off circle, how low he's, he, he's going to take care of things in his own end, how many times he was the guy making the first pass on the breakout. And so what does that do? That takes away maybe from some of the things you're trying to do offensively, um, but really good neutral zone play, excellent details in his game and still has that ability to shoot the puck like a pro, you know, win faceoffs, um, you know, make plays, excellent vision. All of those things are still present in this game. Maybe not at the level that everyone expected, but don't forget, he also missed a year. So when it comes to the Shane, a 94 point season is kind of an okay season. I'll take that any day of the you know, any day of the year. Uh, and, and that's why I think Shane still remains that top guy, but I do believe that line to be razor, razor thin. Uh, and of course, Montreal has the number one pick uh, as we speak, the devil's number two. So let's then talk about two and three then, because it is so tight in your mind's eye, Logan Cooley, you have as number two, the center from the U S national development program. And then your Slavkowski, who, Devils fans have fallen in love with as they see his size. They see him playing uh, in a man's body, fills a need at wing. So many things that uh, makes him appealing to the New Jersey Devils. How did you split hairs there? I think Logan is the most dynamic player uh, in this draft class. He does a lot of things that a lot of players can't do. And if I were to compare him to some players, and I think uh, your audience would be familiar with them, I think a little bit about Trevor Zegers. And the vision and the creativity and the ability to take risks confidently and oftentimes execute on those risks. But I also think a little bit about Jack Hughes in terms of that explosiveness, uh, the ability to score goals, uh, make those around him better, play the center ice position. Size-wise, pretty close to where Jack was when, when he was drafted. And so when I think of that player and try and project what he's going to be at the National Hockey League, that small area game, that creativity – that new age forward, if we will, um, is very um, evident in his game. And so that's why I have Cooley just, just slightly ahead. And again, that line is it's razor thin, even moving to Slavkovsky. And Uri, my goodness, at the combine, he, he is unbelievable. You walk in and he's, he's a beast. And I think uh, Jason Buchler, who he worked with, the former head scout of the Florida Panthers, said this guy made his jeans look like football pants. And I thought that was a, you know, that was a <laughs> That was a pretty good line. Um, and to think that he's still got braces and a little bit of a baby face, you're thinking, my goodness, this guy might play at 6'4", 6'5", 235 pounds. So what can he be? Uh, and again, the success is the MVP at the Olympics, really good in the playoffs um, and awesome at the Worlds. Gives you a pretty good indication that this guy will have an opportunity to step in and play for you right away. So uh, that size and skill set is something that's very coveted in the National Hockey League. It plays in the regular season. It plays in the playoffs in the NHL. And that's why Slavkovsky has, has earned a, a lot of late love as well. So you're Tom Fitzgerald. You're sitting at the table. Let's assume 
Shane Wright goes number one. That seems to be a pretty fair assumption that Montreal takes Shane Wright. You're sitting there. You've got cool. You've got Slavkovsky. Who are you taking, Sam Constantino? I, I probably take Slavkovsky, even though I have Cooley a little bit higher ranked. I think that those elements along the middle of the ice with sort of a smallish center are filled with Heischer and Jack Hughes. And so I'm looking at Slavkovsky and like most everyone in New Jersey saying, man, we'd love to have that size in the wing, a goal scorer, someone for Jack or Nico to get the puck to, 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 to bury it, you know? So I, I think that's the, the direction I go. I mean, you, you address a couple of things right on the spot. And I think, you know, for New Jersey, you want to speed up that trajectory to move forward a little bit. And I think this is a guy who you can implement into your lineup right away. So Slavkovsky would at this point be my pick. And any chance that a defenseman slides into any of those, those picks? I know your check is high and Nemich. I mean, there's a, a couple of names that might jump out to us. Can you tell us a little bit about those? And do you see any of those maybe sneaking up there? Yeah, it, it would be one of those two guys. And my preference at this point would be Simon Nemitz because I believe he adds that offensive element that maybe Juracek won't quite project to bring to the table. All is still pretty good in that regard. But I look at Nemitz as a guy who's going to be able to run a power play for you. He's a right shot guy. Um, he has a boatload of experience playing against men, you know, going back to when he was 15 years old, getting games in the men's league uh, in Slovakia, playing in two worlds, playing in the Olympics. I mean, that's not a lot uh, of experience you get to see from a player in his draft year come to the table with. So for Nemitz, he would be more of the preference for me in that spot. Having said that, you know, Juracek missed, you know, four months, got injured in the World Juniors game against Canada. Uh, knee issue that still looks like it's it's mending, although, you know, he did get into to five of the, the nine or ten games that Czechia played um, at the World Championships and performed well with a couple of assists. So. You know, he's a guy that, that I think uh, can also be that guy. He's another right shot guy as well, but I have Nemitz uh, slightly ahead of him. Somebody is calling saying, I disagree with where you put my player. That's uh, that's a phone call. <laughs> it's an agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> saying, what, what, what did you mean by putting my guy sixth or seventh? Oh, he's much better than that. But, you know, we, we talk about uh, the size of Slavkovsky. The game has gone to skill, which is not to suggest that a big player can have skill. Nathan McKinnon's pretty solid. Miko Rantanen, pretty solid. Gabriel Landeskog, pretty solid. Connor McDavid, pretty solid. So there, there is the combination that has shown. But I'm wondering if what we've seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and Sam, in talking to your sources, talking to the scouts that you sit down and have discussions with, are you sensing that there's a change that, yes, the skill level is there. The game is so fast anymore, and, and you can't beat up on a guy in front of the net the way you, you once did. But you've got to be able to get to the center of the ice, and the Rangers complained about their inability to do that against Tampa Bay, which has some size that they throw out there in Hedman and Sergachev, et cetera, on the defensive side, not to mention the size of the four. So I guess I'm wondering if – we're seeing it not a return to the to what was a norm, but maybe a return to a mean a little bit. Like, let's see how we can combine these two elements. Are, are you hearing that? It's funny because I, I do think the size conversation is really a fluid one. And so let's talk about a Samuel Gerard while we're on the topic of, of Colorado. He's a guy that helps you get through the regular season to be the best team in the National Hockey League. The rigors of the playoff come. He gets banged up. And I think this is the second time where that's happened for a smallish type defenseman. So on one hand, you really need that guy 
to get you through the regular season. But on the other hand, you'd like to see that guy be bigger to be able to withstand the rigors of how much more difficult playoff hockey is. So I find that conversation to be fluid. And it's funny because every time we get to the draft, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about recency bias. And when that recency bias is in watching games in the National Hockey League, you look at St. Louis's defense, they were a monster. You look at some of the Washington forwards, they were big. You look at L.A. going back to 13 and 15. Oh, yeah, they're big, bruising, maybe a bit of a slower team. I think we've evolved a little bit from that. But now you think about Tampa and back-to-back. McDonough on the back end. Ruda on the back end. Who? Eric Chernak. Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Hedman at 6'5", or whatever he is. And then Sergeyev is like a small guy at 6'2". So you, you, you think about that element getting in the middle of the ice. And, yes, size does re-enter the conversation because of the recency bias of the playoffs. But then you get to the regular season and you're like, oh, well, I'd really love to have that smaller skilled guy to help get us through. So where do we find ourselves on that continuum? And again, I think it's a mix that if you could find that skilled guy like a Slavkovsky who does have size, you're thinking, oh, man, this is awesome. Or if we get down the list a little bit and you're looking at some of these defensemen who might be a little bit bigger, you know, whether it's uh, an, an Owen Pickering, a Maverick Lamoureux, those type of guys, six five, six seven. You're thinking, all right, this is pretty cool. But do they have the hands to be able to play the, the skilled game to, to get out of their zone, to play the transition game? And so you're wondering and you're waving along that continuum of size and skill. And you really hope that you find that unicorn like a Slavkovsky who's able to bring both of those elements to the table. And, and that's why he is appealing, certainly to Devils fans, to many fans. But the Devils are sitting there, the fans sitting there saying, we got number two rights probably going to go number one, although Kent used the GM of Montreal rightfully hasn't tipped his hand, but that's what everyone's assuming. So anyway, uh, that's why the excitement builds because he's got that combination of skill and size. It's a volatile draft, as you said. Uh, so who shakes things up? Who, who kind of comes from the outside, say of your rankings and you admit in the story that uh, you posted with your rankings that, Hey, after the top eight, it's 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 a wild wild west out there who who makes who makes the surprise jump or who should we look for some of the guys who might make the surprise jump yeah so there's there's a couple of guys inside of 10 and marco casper would be one of them this guy showed extremely well at the combine um came in a suit you know you can tell that there's room to put on what is already a good solid frame at six two you watch him play really plays a, a complete style of game and his backstory is really cool in that at 16 years old, he left Austria to go to the Swedish Hockey League to play against better competition. His parents went there. They got him set up an apartment. They stayed there for two weeks and said, all right, see you later. So this guy's left to his own devices at 16 years old to play in the men's league. And the cool kind of side story to that is he goes to class. So he goes to high school. So you're sitting in there in a high school class and you're thinking, hey, man, this is pretty cool. I could be sitting beside Jack Hughes while I'm in my, you know, in my grade 12 class. So that's the, the type of neat backstory that goes along with a Marco Casper. But because of his style of play, his size, the way he presents himself, you know, uh, really uh, his season went up and up as he played with Rogla in the SHL to the uh, end of the year where he's playing with Austria and, and one of the most tenured forwards on the Austrian men's team. So um, he's a guy that I think may enter the conversation earlier than some expected. Jonathan Lekiramaki is also a guy who has that goal-scoring element that few players possess in this draft. I have him down the road here a little bit. I think at, uh, just check in here to see, I think he's at 10. He's a guy that could shake things up. One other really interesting player that I have at nine is Joachim Kemmel. 
who played in Liga, who led Liga at the start of the year in points as a 17-year-old, which is crazy to think. Got injured, shoulder issues, rebounded finally at the end of the year, at the end of 18s, but a really dynamic dog and a bone player who's equally as good as a shooter as he is a passer. And a guy who I think at the start of the year would have been very much cemented in the top five of this draft class. I think he slipped because of the mid-season injury issues, but also rising at the at the end of the year, maybe puts him once again into that top five conversation. So those would be three guys that I have, you know, eight, nine, ten, that I think may be able to shake things up uh, inside the top five. Well, one name I keep hearing, and maybe you can speak better to it, is uh, Cutter Gauthier. So I don't know what your assessment is of him, but just talking to a couple of different scouts, not necessarily double scouts, but scouts around the league. A couple of guys have mentioned his name that he might fall and it might be a little bit of a steal later on. What, what have you seen in his game? Yeah. What a, what an awesome young man. Supremely confident uh, guy who, you know, sat up on the, on the podium at the combine and said, yeah, I, I deserve to be in the conversation with Wright and Cooley. I, I'm that good. Um, and, and, and he is, he's a really, really good player. But I, I love the versatility that he has that early in the year started as a center, was centering the second and third lines with the U.S. program and then moved to the wing um, to play with, with uh, Cooley and established himself that he could play wing as well. So I love that versatility that he brings to the table. He's got decent size. He's got excellent goal scoring ability. Um, really confident NHL bloodlines. His dad, Sean, played to, you know a little bit in the National Hockey League. So he comes from that that pedigree, which I think NHL scouts always seem to love. Those players seem to get it, get it a little quicker. Um, and, and so that's a couple of the reasons why uh, I think that he's a guy that also sits inside that top 10 that might shake things up a little bit. But uh, again, a really good all around player plays with a little bit of edge to his game, some physicality. And, and again, you like the size. So he's a guy that, uh, that people shouldn't sleep on. That's for sure. Sam. And scrolling through your, your top 32 here, a lot of wings, a lot of centers, a lot of D-men, no goaltenders. So I know it's not a deep, deep uh, draft for goaltenders and certainly not the, you know, the Vasilevskis or the, the Knights. But who are some of the goaltenders to keep an eye on maybe for those later round, second, third round guys that might kind of fall? Because obviously goaltending is something you always need. For sure. So we tend to think of those guys, you know, the odd one, especially in the last four or five years that goes in the first round, but typically that run at goalies really starts to go in the second round. And when one's taken, seemingly a couple more fall into place after that. This year, we're not going to see that. We won't see a goaltender go in the first round. It's a down year for goalies. You think about that, that year and a half of, of misdevelopment and which position would it affect most, in my opinion, would have to be the goaltenders. You have to play. And so a lot of these guys, whatever league that they're playing in at 16, aren't playing much anyways. They might be the third string guy. They might be an affiliate player. They might get into 10 or 12 games. The odd guy is a starter for his team at 16, but typically doesn't happen. So you go into your 17-year-old year, and if you're playing behind a really good guy as a drafted guy, maybe you get into 20 games. If you become the guy at 17, now you're playing 50 games. So in either one of those scenarios, you're getting more game experience. For those players, that didn't happen because of the time missed of the pandemic. You either going back to the guys that you had previous to the pandemic, or you're still essentially in your 16-year-old season because you're playing behind other guys and you don't get the chance to get that game experience. So I think that's a major reason as to why we're not seeing a goalie here uh, go in the first round. But Ty Brandon is a guy uh, plays in Prince George. Um, inherited the, the the spot there uh, 
once Taylor Goche was traded over to Portland, you know, he's a big guy, 6'2", 6'3". So goaltenders tend to start at that size, 6'2", in the National Hockey League. Um, I'm looking at a guy like uh, Reed Dick, who played so well for Swift Current, ended up playing for Canada at the under-18s. He's a guy that's being uh, thought of. Silverstein, who played the under-18 program, was banged up a bit. Um, he's a guy, again, who, when it comes to the goalies, is amongst the, the higher echelon in this class. Jigalov uh, is a goaltender who plays in Sherbrooke. He's another guy. But again, I would be surprised this year if we did see a goalie inside the top 50, to be perfectly honest with you. So latter stages of the second round, maybe even into the third when we start to see the first one go. Having said that, a couple of teams, with multiple second and third rounders might jump, uh, you know, because they want to get what they would perceive to be the best goalie available in this class. I know Maddie wants to jump in here, but following up real quick, do you think that year, losing that year of experience will take a little bit longer for those guys to mature and develop down the road? So if you goalies usually take obviously a little more time to develop anyway, but missing an entire year of games, do you think that'll will cause these guys to need just an even additional year, maybe down the road of development? Yeah, I think so, Sam. And I, you know, I look at goalies that if you're drafting them at 18 years old, I'm looking at a, a, a seven-year plan before they actually become a contributing member to your NHL team. So what does that mean? It means typically another year or two in junior. It means maybe a year or half a year in the coast. It means probably a year to two years um, in the American Hockey League. Then it means cracking the, the backup or third guy in your NHL team. Then it means becoming the legit backup for your NHL team before you become the starter. So you're looking at a seven-year trajectory for these guys to develop. And with those guys having missed all of that time, there is one way to make it up. It's by being able to play more games at a lower level. So that potential exists, whether you're a guy who was probably projected to play in the American Hockey League, you go and play your, your, your 50, 60 games in the coast. Whether it's a guy who's going to make the jump to the coast, who ends up playing an overage year as a goaltender in junior hockey. So the, the opportunities exist for those guys to make up for that time, but just by playing at a lower level. So it's not exactly what you'd want to see, but I do believe that you can make up that time if there's an impetus by the, the, the organization to say, you know what, we're going to slow this thing down. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to play at a lower level, but you're going to get your games in that you missed over that year and a half. Yeah, develop it, development is so important. I, I love the scenario that you described. This year might be an outlier when it comes to goalies, but it sounds like my fantasy football draft. When does the first guy decide – I'm going to go for a kicker. And then all of a sudden it's kicker, kicker, <laughs> kicker or defense, but you wait, you wait, you try to outfox everyone. No, I'm not going to go there, but I really want this guy. And then, Oh, he, he gone. And now we got to all pick him, Right. <laughs> we all can relate. It's not the same kind of pressure. Yeah. It doesn't affect livelihoods, but it's the same kind of pressure. Uh, who has the best chance to be a late round pick, I'm going to give it in a different way here so, and, and be the, a surprise in the draft. And I'm thinking of from a devil standpoint, Yegor Sharangovich, fifth round, Jesper Bratt, sixth round. Is there a guy that you've looked at and said, for thus and such, he's not going to be on anybody's board very high necessarily, but look out. There's something I like about this guy. There's a guy by the name of uh, Tucker Robertson who plays in Peterborough. And he's gone through the draft once, maybe twice. The brain's a little foggy right now. Uh, but had an unbelievable year with Peter Rowe. And I was in to, to see the Peets in uh, the second week of March and spent uh, some significant time with their coaches. 
and to a man, uh, Derek Walzer being one of them, former NHLer, said, oh, you got to see this guy. I mean, he's a shooter. He plays with grit. He gets up and down the ice. You know, he'll bang bodies a little bit. He's a guy that has really made strides and people kind of slept on because he missed a year last year. So I think he's probably the one key guy that I'm focused in on to say, you know what? He's someone that I think can be an NHL player, but will probably go later in the draft because he's been through it a couple of times already. Um, one other guy, and maybe not as far down the list, but one guy I'm absolutely fascinated by is Lane Hudson. Here's a guy who's like 5'7", tippy toes, 5'8", skates on maybe 5'9", um, but plays for the U.S. Under-18 program. And again, I was I spent three days there at the end of March, and that includes all their heavyweight guys who were in the, in the lineup, the Cooleys, the McGordys, uh, the, the Goches, the Snuggaroods. Um, but over the course of three games, he was their best player. And I was amazed at what he was able to do. So the size thing at that position, no doubt, is going to be an issue. He showed up at the draft with a package from an endocrinologist. I think that's how you say it, saying, you know what? I, I think I can grow to 5'10", or at least this is what the doctors project might happen for me. So kind of a weird way to go about things, but still a way to show that, yeah, man, I can be bigger. I can be bigger. Uh, and if he were 6'2", he'd be a top 10 pick in this draft class. But at 5'7", 140 pounds, that's a difficult road to go down uh, and explain to your general manager if you're an NHL team. So having said that, I still think he gets drafted. Absolutely fascinated as to see where it winds up with this guy. Do you believe he's going to get to 5'10"? Do you think at 5'7", he'd be able to play if he doesn't grow anymore? He's another guy that I think somewhere down the road is going to get into NHL games just because of how smart he is. Yeah, because we focus on the top picks the first round primarily, and really the devil, no pun intended, is in the details, and it's what happens in the second and the third and the league and fourth and beyond. So uh, the league is filled with guys who sat around waiting, 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 didn't hear their name called in the first round, but they've had exemplary careers. So it's it's always fun to follow that. Has the team ever allowed you in their war room? Because we hear the stories about scouts arguing, especially the meetings that lead up to the draft, uh, passionately for their player against another scout who's arguing, arguing passionately for his player. Have you ever been involved in that uh, where they've let you in? Although I'm sure they don't let you get out with any of the secrets. <laughs> well, it's, it's never happened. I've never asked be awesome, that wouldn't it? to happen. Oh, I would absolutely love that because I probably couldn't sit there and keep my mouth shut. And they're probably saying like, who the hell is this media guy? What's he talking about? Right. Um, that opportunity has never really presented itself. I've never pursued it. I suppose if things ever change uh, in my role in the draft where, you know, I'm, I'm sitting up there as sports, that's main guy on our set. And I think a lot of people would be afraid to allow someone like me into their room at this point. And for me, I kind of like keeping it underground a little bit, not let everyone know who I'm talking to. And, and when I'm talking to them, I think that confidentiality has allowed me to, to expand and, and continue to grow and strengthen my network. But man, that would be an awesome thing. I don't know, maybe, you know, in 40 years when I retire or whatever it is and, just before they throw the toe tag on me, someone would allow for that to happen. But I don't see that happen here anytime in the next couple of years. That's for sure. I'd love it though. And Sam, one more for me. Uh, you've been so generous with your time. Really appreciate you joining us today. But last one, because Maddie kind of brought up the, the scouts arguing back and forth when they put the, the board together and the passion. How do you go about gathering your board? I mean, I know you're watching games, you're interviewing guys, you're interviewing scouts, you know, but you're a one man show. You know, it's not like you have all these different 
scouts arguing and then you're putting things together, you've got to kind of do it internally. So I wonder how you put your process together and how you build out your own big board. So this is, this is year eight for sports and at the draft, uh, you know, kind of started for us at 2014, the year before we, we got the rights there, we were in, uh, we were in Philadelphia and kind of got to, you know, integrated into the, how it all works. Um, and, and this is the first year where Sportsnet has given us some additional resources to help out. So Jason Bukala, who I mentioned earlier in the podcast, he uh, owns the, the pro hockey group. Uh, we've subcontracted him as a consultant uh, for Sportsnet, a guy that was a really helpful source for me back when he was with the the Florida Panthers was great at the information sharing part of it, but he brings that, that professional element and that organizational element that we've never had when talking about the draft before. So that's a, a real key piece for us. He can sit down there and he can scout and, 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 and you know, you'll see his scouting reports. They've come up. Those are all his scouting reports, uh, you know, in our, in our most recent rankings. So to have that element has been huge and he's a great guy to bounce things off of. In fact, he called me right before we got on the podcast and he said, hey, man, I got some stuff. Call me back. So as soon as I'm done here, I'll be picking up the horn to, to call Jason. But he's got an unbelievable eye. He just he sees things that, that my eye doesn't. I can go down and kind of give a good, I think, general scouting report on what I think a player is and what I project them to be. But he really digs down. So, for example, we're at the prospects game. We're watching the warmups. He's like, look at this kid, Sammy. He has trouble going to his backhand on the pivot. So he has to turn and get everything to the forehand. That's problematic. That's something they're going to have to lean on. That's something that my eye see, meaning him, and my eye didn't, didn't even pick up on. But it's a key element because you think about how heavy the forecheck is these days. This guy can't exit on the backhand. Oh, my gosh. You know exactly. Scouting reports, dump it. Dump it to his backhand side. Dump it to his backside. Forecheck and boom, turns puck over ends up in the back of your net. So this is the type of eye that he's able to bring to the table that we haven't had before. Um, but in terms of me leaning on him, me getting live views to give a more general thing, watching a lot of video, consulting with the network, um, and also the combine for me is such a huge piece. I'm a big, big believer in character. And I think I have a pretty good read on people. The, the second that you meet them, that first impression, I think I have a pretty good uh, ability to identify that. Um, but again, I always think about handshakes, look in the eyes, dress, uh, body language, whether someone is engaged in the conversation or quite frankly, they don't give a rat's rip whether they're there or not also speaks a lot to me. And I think those same things when they come into our room being addressed and interviewed by the media also carry over to what that player brings into the, the national hockey league room. And, and I think back to a guy, oh my gosh. Uh, about six or seven years ago, I'll never forget. It was a Finnish kid, and I know his name, but I don't want to say it. But he walked into the into the combine interview, and he had like all kinds of gold chains, and his shirt was unbuttoned, and he had like shorts on and sandals, and kind of gave away this cool opinion. You watch them on the ice, and you're like, "Dude, you are an awesome player!" Like, but you don't present as a pro. And so for me, that threw up all kinds of red flags. And to this day, that player is still struggling to, as a first round pick, uh, to be able to integrate himself into the lineup of his, of his team and likely probably won't happen until he moves to his second or third team for this player to become the guy that everyone thought he was going to be in his draft year. So again, putting all of those pieces to the puzzle together, leaning on JB a little bit more for the, for the hockey stuff, 
leaning on the network are all key little pieces to the to the smoothie that we put together. Do we have to flip the tables and listen in on your uh, phone conversation? Forget the <laughs> yeah, the they're fun. The they are fun for sure. Well, as has this podcast, Sam. Thank you very much for your time. There are many reasons we have you on. Many reasons why. We like you. Your personality shines through. Your information is superb. But you gave us another reason, at least me. You like to speak and deal with a teller. I like it. <laughs> yeah, We're on the yeah. same page, my friend. Nice. We are on the same page. It's got to keep the human element. Although, you know, obviously, I've got an ATM direct deposit. And I'll put it. <laughs> I'll put the, I'll, I, I finally got to the point where I actually deposit a check into the ATM. My son really? finally said, Dad, what are you doing? So I've done that. I used to like to go in with the check. Hello, how are you? Everything yeah. good? What a nice day. Everything good? Here, put this uh, $38 check I got from somebody. What is, what is a bank teller again? Can you explain it to me? Yeah, and uh. here's Sam. <laughs> Sam. Sam sitting there saying, yeah, I just took a picture of this yeah. check. Yeah. No, I just got an e-transfer, a Venmo or whatever the heck you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. Money's yeah. already in the account Venmo. three years ago. I'm still waiting for my check to clear. That's 38 bucks because I don't have enough money in the account to clear it. You, you, can't work the, you can't work the float anymore. Come on. That used to be a staple <laughs> of my early existence. I'll send the check just in time. By the time they cash it, I got a three-day float and wait till my check gets deposited. Now, you know what else? Today. Here's here's another good trick. The next time you go get like, you know, maybe the convenience store, a coffee store, whatever, picking up donut coffee, pay in cash and watch some of these young people try and count it out to get the change. You might end up with more than what you came in with. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good deal. That, that could be a retirement plan uh, element <laughs> to add. Uh, but, and listen, we're, we're, we're getting off track here and we're going to wrap things up here in a second, but this is true. I mean, I, I have run into more now the endless again, I am mostly modern in my approach, but I have run into places now where you actually, you give them the cash and they're like, uh, I only got like two <laughs> singles here. I can't change. All right, give it here. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll just put it, you know, on my account. That's no problem. But whatever. It's just like, wow, cash is dying as a transactional uh, element for sure. Anyway, I'm not going to say I bought a a soda yesterday, a $2 soda with a credit card, but I definitely did. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, it could have been worse. You could have bought it with crypto. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's worth nothing now. So, yeah. <laughs> When's this airing? It depends on when this airs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, it has been a fun, informative podcast, and we might as well end it on that enjoyable note. Sam Cosentino, thanks very much. We look forward to seeing how it plays out, how your draft list, with the understanding that there's a very fine line separating those top guys. So there's room for moving here and there. But that's a fun part of it, too, to look at how things all transpire and and how your view matches others. And who knows what the devils are going to do? That's what makes uh, the draft so interesting. Keep it who they draft. Hmm, We'll find out soon enough. Sam, thanks very much for your time. All right, Maddie, Sam, thanks a lot. Uh, Really, real pleasure joining you guys. Take care. As always. And uh, Sam Kassan, it's it's so lucky for us that we've been able to have Sam join us over these last couple of years to give us his insights. We had that 30,000 foot view and and we got into the weeds too. It's, it was terrific. Yeah, absolutely. And looking forward to seeing you at the draft in Montreal. It's It's been too long. And, and thank you again, Sam, for doing this every year with us. And hopefully we keep doing it on in the future. And like I said, can't wait to see you at the draft in Montreal and actually be in person again, finally. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what a city, man! You're 
If you haven't been, you're going to love it. Oh, I've been. Yeah. <laughs> I know how much fun you'll be having. I'll enjoy anchoring our coverage from the studio with Chico Resch, but there might be a bit of my heart in Montreal. What a great city it is. Anyway, on that note, we'll wrap things up on our Speak of the Devils podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. As always, to our listeners, thank you very much for your company. It is appreciated. And until next time, for Sam Kassan and our producer, Andrew McLean, and our guest, Sam Cosentino, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thanks so much. Until next time, be safe, be well. So long, everybody. 